you will never amount to anything. You're worthless. You can't do anything right, can you? I don't think you'll ever get it right. I don't know why you're here. I'm so glad you're a part of my family. You make me so happy. Just the way you do things, it just brings me joy. You did so great with that. It was perfect. I know that didn't go quite the way you wanted to, but that's okay. We're gonna work on it together. We're gonna make it better together. Those phrases landed in different places, didn't they? Like, even though they were spoken by the same person with the same mouth in the same moments, they landed in different places. The encouraging ones probably just let you breathe a sigh of relief because you're like, what is happening in this place right now? I don't know what I'm hearing. And they let you, maybe take you back to some, some places, some good memories, because those things have been said over you. But those harsh ones landed in a different place, didn't they? They, they caused a different response. For some of you, maybe you found your, your fists began to clench or your heart began to beat a little bit faster. Your faces were very confused. I wish you could have seen them. You thought, I'm in church. Why am I hearing these harsh, negative things? But for some of you, it actually took you back to a place because those were memories. Those were actually words that you've actually heard, not from someone just standing on a stage, someone much closer, a family member, a friend, someone who is supposed to be bringing you some encouragement and supposed to be supporting you. And yet that's what you've heard. And we've all heard that sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will never hurt us. But actually our words carry weight because some, for some of you that took you way back long ago. And those words still had meaning because they're implanted in your brain somewhere. You still have them. You're still, still carrying them around with you because our words have staying power. And the weight of those words can crush us or they can actually create something good in us, like the encouraging ones. They allow you to breathe a little bit, allow you to rest. But the harsh ones, they crush something inside of us. And we see this written by King Solomon in the book of Proverbs. He says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Meaning that like our words carry power, they carry weight, they, they can bring death or they can bring life. They're planted in us and those plants eventually are seeds, our words become seeds and they reap a harvest of some sort. A fruit that's good to eat or fruit that tastes awful, that's actually damaging to us. He goes on in Proverbs to say that gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. And we've probably all felt that. And I love the way um, someone had described Proverbs one time. It's like they're short sentences of a longer life story. And we know that King Solomon was one of the wisest men to live. And so he's taken all these life experiences, maybe not his, but he was an observer of life and he was imparted with the wisdom of God. And so we get all these short sentences, these snippets of life that help us learn and help us guard us and protect us and how we should live our life. And so today we're gonna to be looking at the power of our words and gleaning from the wisdom that King Solomon wrote down because we do have power in our words. 
And so what we do with the encouraging ones, we just tend to tuck them away. We save them for a good day, right? Or a rainy day. We pull them out and we look at them. And just as I was getting ready to do this, for, to speak to you guys today, I opened up my Bible. I call it my growing up Bible. It was the one I had since I was high school, in high school, all the way through college and my growing up years. And when I opened it up, some encouraging notes fell out of it. One of it was from someone in high school, and one of it was, another one was someone from um, college that had written me a note, and they fell out, and I read them, and it was just encouraging me to continue on in this faith. And even though they were written years later, and I'll let you guess how long ago those things were written. They, the ink was still perfect, by the way. It had not faded. But it had rolled out in my Bible, and it gave me encouragement today. Even though it was written years ago, those words, when I read them again, was just as powerful and meaningful, and maybe even more so than they were when they were written. So our encouraging words, the ones that we write, they have power, they have staying power over our lives. And it's Mother's Day. And no doubt some of you have had to script out some encouraging words to your mother, or, or you need to in just a little bit. You gotta do it hurriedly um, as, before you leave. And you're gonna be getting things from your sweet kids today. And I remember, like, thinking back through all the mother, Mother's Day cards I've gotten, the, my favorite ones were the drawings, you know, where you get the drawings and your arms are like eight miles longer than your body. Or my favorite one was just the one eye in the center of your forehead. That was great. And if you looked at it, like took it as face value, it could be a little bit discouraging because you're like, do I actually look like that? Is that how I look? But it was incredibly encouraging because you knew it was coming from the innocence of your child. Just say, my mom looks amazing and this is the way she looks. And my favorites are the fill-ins, the fill in the blank ones. My mom is always late. Or my mom's favorite drink is fruit juice. You know, how many of you had all those tell-off, fill-in-the-blank Mother's Day cards? Well, you're about to get some of those if you haven't already gotten them over the weekend. And even though they may be a little bit tell-all and could be a little bit discouraging, really you, you, you garden those in your heart because they're precious. They come from an innocent place and they're trying to build you up. But those discouraging ones, those harsh ones, and even though we don't want to hear them, we try to unhear them, you can't. They're, they're implanted into our hearts and into our minds. And for some of you, those things are on repeat. You hear them over and over again. Because we've all felt the sting or the comfort of others' words. We felt their discouragement and we felt their encouragement. Because with our words, we can leave people broken or we can leave them better. We can choose with our words to crush, or we can choose with our words to create something good in others and also create something good in ourselves. And we see the power of our words, the power of our tongue, described by James, who was a disciple of Jesus, and he wrote this in the book of James. And he goes on to describe our tongues like this. They're very small, but they control things disproportionate to their size, meaning this, the tongue is one of the smallest parts of your body, but the results of our tongue are way disproportionate to anything else than we can do. And he describes it as like a forest fire. It's a small spark that sets an entire forest on fire. That's the power of our words. Or it's like a small rudder in a ship that just is very small, but yet that rudder determines the destiny and the course of a big ship and everybody that's on it. Our tongues come with cursings and it comes with blessings, just like you heard me start off with not long ago. And the interesting thing about our tongue that James says is that as man, we've learned to do a lot of things. 
a lot of us have dogs. You've, you've trained your dog to do tricks. You've trained your dog to shake. You've trained your dog to let you know when it needs to go out. We've trained horses. We just watched the Kentucky Derby. You've trained horses how to run, how to jump, how to gallop, all the things that horses can do and all the things that we can train animals to do. I hear that some people have even trained cats to use toilets. I don't know if that's true. Maybe Pastor Jonathan would be a little bit more loving toward cats if he knew that that was the case. I don't know. But as, as humans, we've learned to do a lot of things. We can tame animals. But James says, no one, no man has learned to tame the tongue. And we've probably all been there. We know that's true because how many of you have said, have ever had to say, I didn't mean to say that. I have no idea where that came from. And in the same second, something wonderful comes out of your mouth and something you never intended to come out of your mouth. It just, it just falls out. And so we've all experienced that. We've all, we all know that we cannot tame our tongue. But at the same time, if we know that Proverbs is saying, watch out, guard your mouth, and James is saying you can't tame it, we know that there's a lack of encouragement in our world today. We, we feel it. You feel it in your workplaces. You feel it in your home. Not long ago before Easter, we were, um, we like to do these things that we call pop-ups and it's just being out in the community and we were at the baby Walmart. We call it the baby Walmart. It's the neighborhood Walmart, the small mart, baby Walmart. Um, they are very kind and generous to us there. So we, we love to work with them. And so we did a pop-up there where we were just giving away some free donuts. And before we could even get set up, a lady walks up to us and she says, you're a church, right? And we were like, yeah, we're a church. We're just giving away some free stuff today. And just with tears in her eyes, she just said, I need some encouragement. It was like she was void of it and she just knew that's where I should go to get some because I need some of that in my life. And she just began to share with us just something that she was going through. And we just sat there and just listened to her. She's like, I need some encouragement. And you probably experienced that in your world. Wherever you're at in your workplace, you know that we are in a state where we are void of encouragement. Because you never hear from anybody, I am so sick and tired of all this good news. All people have to say is good stuff. Where's the bad stuff? You never hear that. And you never hear like, I'm so sick and tired of all this encouragement. I wish someone would just push me down just a little bit because all I hear is all this good stuff. And social media is so wonderful. I get on it and I'm there for like an hour and a half. And when I'm done with it, I feel so much better about myself and everything going on, right? It never happens that way, right? So how do we get so wrapped up in this negativity? How do we get so prone and so drawn to all this negativity in our lives? Why, do they, why does it seem to stick longer? Because we know that the negative sells. If you look at research, it's gonna tell you, like if you wanna get more attention, just lead with the negative. And I started off that way today because I knew it grabbed your attention. So why does the negative news feel like it just has us? It's just got us, it's got its grips in us. It's got its claws into our minds and our hearts. Why does the negativity feel like it's like vines that are just, entangling us, wrapping itself around our ankles when we know what it does to us. Because we agree that we're all in like this void of, of encouragement and this negativity is producing something in us. And that negativity, there's a reason why we're drawn to that ne negativity, but that ne negativity is producing anger, it's producing anxiety, producing depression, and I think that we all feel that. It's no secret that we are in a mental health crisis in our nation. 
And so why are we so prone to this negativity? What, what draws us to that? And so anatomy and physiology help us out understand this a little bit. It's because whenever we, hear, whenever we hear something negative and whenever we hear something positive, it actually hits two different places in our brain. The negative information hits the amygdala where our central nervous system is all connected. And what happens when it does that is perceived as a threat. Like that information is threatening my security, it's threatening my safety, it's threatening something that I believe, and so I have to do something with it. And when that happens, it, re it re releases adrenaline, like I'm experiencing right now, all that adrenaline. <laughs> that adrenaline causes you to, to fight or flight. You gotta make a choice. You gotta do something with it. But we were never meant to live that way. We were never meant to live in that fight or flight zone continually. And so what is happening that we are reacting to that, we've become adrenaline junkies, basically. We're just prone to that adrenaline release. And when that happens, the fruit of those words, the fruit of those thoughts is releasing what I had mentioned earlier, the anxiety, the depression, the fear, the anger. And so it lands there and we have to do something with it, even though we were never meant to live there. Now, the encouraging information, however, it hits a different spot in our brain. It hits the frontal lobe. And that's where your language happens, your processing happens, your, your thinking, your deep thinking happen, happens. And typically, that does not require an immediate response. So you can check that away. That's why all those encouraging messages, you don't have to immediately respond to that. You get to tuck that away and you get to pull off of that later. And so they land in different places. And because they do, it, we um, show different responses to that. And we've all known people that when they walk into a room, they tend just to suck the air out of it, right? You know people in your life that tend to be negative people and you know people in your life that tend to be more positive people. And it's because their reactions to you and their body language is just landing at different places. So I want you to take a second and just look at the landscape of your life. Think of your, the landscape of your life as a big field where you're producing something, you're planting something, and maybe you like fruit trees, so it's a fruit garden for you, or maybe you like herbs and make it an herbal garden, or whatever it is, just make it legal, whatever you're planting. <laughs> just choose something to plant, and I want you to look at your, the garden of your life, the landscape of your life. What does it look like? What has been planted into you? What are you growing? Are you growing weeds that are just trying to choke everything out? Has that been planted into you? And because of that, you're planting that, you're sowing that into others? Or is it the more encouraging things? Are you growing the wildflowers, the fruit trees, or whatever it is that you want to enjoy? Has that been sown into you? And are you being able to sow that into other people? And so going back to James, where he said, like, our tongue is hard to tame. So we've kind of got this dilemma, right? We know we've got this power of our tongue, the power of our words that are gonna crush, are gonna create something good, it's gonna create life, but yet we can't tame it. And we've tried to tame it, and it is Mother's Day, so I'm gonna give you some Mother's Day advice. I'm gonna start it, and I want you to finish it. If you can't say anything good to say, don't say anything at all, right? Like that's some great solid mama advice. But the problem with that is how many of you have been able to follow it? How many of you have been able to keep your mouth shut? You know, we can for maybe a minute, but even if we muster up enough self-control to keep our mouth shut, the problem is it comes out our faces. And you've all seen that. There's terms for people that look like that. But you know the scowl, 
You know, the arms are crossed, like it's our attitude just seeps it out, even if our mouth doesn't speak it. And you've all known people like that. And so we can't just stay silent. And then it's not just a pep talk, because we've all given people pep talks before, right? And I love a good pep talk, because I love football. I love the good pep talk before a game. You can do this, you got this, even though maybe you know they can't, but you're gonna say, you got this, you can do this. And going through this, there's actually a hotline I found that you can call and it's called Pep Talk, not TikTok, but Pep Talk. And it's designed by kindergartners through fifth graders. And if you just want your heart warm just a little bit, I encourage you to dial it up because they've got some solid life advice and you can, it's just a keypad. And if you just need some encouragement with life advice, you just hit two, just hit two. And those kids, those sweet kids are gonna give you some life advice. It's a pep talk, and the good thing about the pep talk is a lot of it ends with just taking your wallet and going and buying ice cream, which is some really, really good advice. But the problem is, if we can't stay silent and the ice cream is not gonna be good for our waistline, what are we gonna do? We gotta dig a little bit deeper than that because we have to follow what King Solomon said because he gave us wisdom, knowing that our words have power to crush or create. And we need to listen to James saying, you got a problem on your hands. Like you're not gonna be able just to automatically and easily contain your t tame your tongue. So what do we do? And I think to understand the root of our problem, to uncover, to unearth and uproot some stuff that has been sown into us, we need to go back where it all started. And it's not 2020, even though we'd like to blame 2020 for everything. We can't do that. We're gonna have to go all the way back to the garden, all the way back where humanity started. And let's go back there for a minute and just imagine this perfect place, because that's what it was. There was no pollen and allergies trying to kill us like it is now, or at least that's what I think it was like. But we had this perfect relationship with God. We had this perfect communion with God. It, it was continual. It was just like, it was almost like there were no words because needed because the communion was so perfect. He knew us completely and fully and we had the opportunity to discover him and know him completely and fully. And when he looked at everything he made, he said it was good. And when he looked at man and the way man was made, every part of man, he said it was very good. So we were living in this good and perfect place where there was no evil, there was nothing bad. Imagine that. That is where we were. And everything was going great until we were posed with this one question by our adversary. And that was, did God really say? And with that one question, it put all the goodness of God on the table. All of it was laid out. Is everything he said really true? Does he really love you like that? Does he really want this goodness over you? And in that one moment, we fell for it. We went for it. And in that moment, we lost our humanity. We lost the humanity that God intended for us to experience. And now it's Mother's Day, so let's don't go hating on Eve, okay? We can't just totally blame her. Adam was there too, we know. But we just can't go hating on them. Because I feel like if we were transposed back to that perfect place, that place of goodness where everything was good, we would do the same thing. And the reason why I know that is because we do it now, we do it today. Because it was just a few weeks ago, not long ago, we celebrated Easter. We celebrated all the way, high fives all around. We celebrated that Jesus died and resurrected and we celebrated the fact that he 
resurrected us right now and gave us power over sin in our lives. Meaning that this negativity, this discouragement, the sin, the deceitfulness, it no longer has its claws on us. It no longer has hold on us. But yet, we find ourselves drifting back to it over and over again to the point where it's, it, it is the rudder that's driving and dictating our course. But yet, Jesus' death and resurrect, resurrection freed us from that. And so we're not living like that. We haven't agreed to believe that's where God has delivered us from. And we keep going back to that place, that place of negativity that entangles us. And there's a reason why we can't tame our tongue. And Jesus made it really clear. In the New Testament, he said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so basically the tongue is the mechanism, but the driver, the motivator of all of this is our hearts. And that's because our hearts, the posture of our hearts, are no longer turned towards God, but we've turned them into ourselves, just like we did in the garden. And because of that, the things that come out of our heart, the words that come out of our heart that actually come through our mouths, tend to lean towards the more discouraging, the more negative stuff. It's not the truth that God has spoken over our lives. And so basically we have more than a mouth problem. We've got a heart problem. But the good news, it doesn't end there. The good news for you and for me and for all of us is that Jesus came to reclaim our hearts. And when he did that, when he died and he resurrected and he reclaimed our hearts, we became free. And the disconnect there is we just have to start living like it. It already happened. We just have to agree and accept it and change the patterns, our thought patterns and our mind patterns and our mouth patterns. We have to begin to agree with what Jesus did on the cross and believing in the resurrection power that he's put inside us all. And so we're gonna take a look on how to do that today. Because the scripture tells us that if you have received any internal encouragement through Jesus, which we all have, and hopefully you're learning that while you're here at the summit. Hopefully you've grabbed a hold of that at least at Easter, but hopefully you're, you're beginning, your eyes are beginning to be open to all the hope and the goodness and the encouragement that we have in Jesus Christ. Because that is what we want you to receive and we will never exhaust it. That is the beauty of it. And so hopefully you are beginning to take hold of that piece by piece. And so when you begin to receive that internal encouragement in Christ, you can encourage others. You can begin to rewrite these negative patterns that have settled itself down into your heart, into your minds. And so how do we do that? How do we go back to that perfect communion with God? I told you I had opened up my Bible and found a couple of notes in it when I was getting ready for this. And the other thing that ironically just fell out at the same time was a note that my daughter had written when she was, I think, elementary school, middle school. She's talking about her attitude, so I'm thinking like middle school-ish here. But she had wrote encourage at the top of her note. And she just went on to say like, she was having a hard time with her attitude and her parents were noticing. And she was like, God, I'm trying to fix it, but I can't, I'm, I'm struggling. I can't, I can't fix this on my own. So I don't know what else to do, but I'm just gonna rely on you. I'm gonna rely on you to help me because I can't do this on my own. And I think for some of you, maybe that's just where you need to start. You need to take on the honesty and the vulnerability of a child and approach God just like you could back in the garden and just say, here's where I'm struggling with my thoughts. They seem to be having a master over me. And because of that, I'm spewing it out on other people and I need you to help me. 
Because I think we get confused sometimes. I think that we, we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. We know what he did for us and we, and we love that. And we know that he's gonna protect us and take care of us. But I think sometimes we think that because of that, he's just sitting in heaven. And as the scripture says, when he died and he rose, he is seated in the heavenly places with God the Father and he's seated there. And I think in our minds, we're like, okay, he's, he's up there, he's seated there, but, and here we are down here just trying to do this human thing on our own. When actually that's not true. What the, what the scripture means by that is when he's seated by God the Father, he is seated in authority. It means that he has been given authority in heaven and on earth, all of it, all authority belongs to him. So that means if you're having trouble with this encouraging thing, the negativity thing, go to the one that has authority over all things because he's seated there, but he doesn't just stay there. He's seated there because he has authority, but he practices here among us. He sent his spirit among us. He's not just an observer of our faith. He's an active participant in it. And you need to invite him into your faith because he wants to help you through this. He wants to help you be human again. He wants to help us regain those qualities and characteristics of life-giving, of being able to speak life-giving words over others. He's in it with you. And like I said, he didn't just come to tame our tongue. He came to rescue our hearts. So we just need to begin to let him rescue our hearts. And the other thing he does for us that's pretty amazing is that scripture tells us that he intercedes on our behalf. And it goes on to describe his intercessions as words and groans. It's, it's not just like, hey God, help him out. Somebody take care of them. Spirit, see what you can do. No, he is anguishing over you in your trials, in your suffering. He has seen the words spoken over you way back then. He was there. And he's in anguish over you, trying to uproot all those things, all those negative things that were spoken about you. He's there uprooting those, trying to plant truth back into your hearts, into your mind. And he sees you, the ability that you have to speak words and truth into other people, and he's cheering you on. He's interceding on your behalf. And so we have to develop these thought patterns, we have to change our patterns from this mindset of negativity, the negativity that just wants to pull us in with its claws. And we have to begin to walk in this new mindset, this new pattern of life, this new human that God has created us to be. And it's gonna take some practice. It's gonna take some work on our part. And the thing is that we see this written throughout the New Testament. Every single book of the New Testament is covered in this. And it's this idea of encouragement. And it's basically how you treat one another. It's honoring one another. It's loving one another. It's putting others first. It's speaking truth into others. It's encouraging each other. And so we're gonna look at encouragement. And encouragement is calling out what is true in someone to give them the courage or the confidence to be who God designed them to be. So every time you're speaking truth into someone's life, you're bringing them encouragement, you're actually give them, giving them courage to live out what God has tucked down inside them, the truth that God has put inside them. And so before we get down into what encouragement actually looks like, I want to look at flattery for a minute because flattery and encouragement are two totally different things. 
Flattery goes in line more with what the deceiver said in the garden, because it's gonna sound like a, a little truthful. And usually with flattery, there's a little bit of truth with a whole lot of lie. You know, we've all been deceived to thinking that way before. So let's look at flattery for a minute. Flattery actually works ruin. And we see this in Proverbs. King Solomon again said, it actually works ruin in someone's life. These false words, these things that appear to be true, but they're not really true. Flattery just builds ourselves up, really. It's more self-centered. The heart behind flattery says, I can't build you up because if I do, then I look like I'm gonna be torn down. And then flattery is just insincere because the heart behind flattery is, I can't praise others because the pride, my pride says there's only room for one. And then flattery is also deceitful. And we just know that being deceitful is just unkind. And so that is what flattery looks like. We wanna stay away from flattery because that looks more like the deceiver way back in the garden, that was flattery. We want to move to this style of encouragement, this pattern of encouragement. So let's look and see what that looks like. Encouragement is giving people courage and confidence. It's building them up. And we're not afraid to build others up because when we do, we know it just benefits everybody because we know that they have gifts and things to bring to the table that we're missing if they're not living out their best. And encouragement builds each other up. You, you notice something in someone and you encourage that behavior. Encouragement is intentional. It's taking the time to notice something in someone else. And you recognize the value in others. You know that God has, you speak the truth that God has put value in everyone. And you begin to speak that out into other people. And encouragement is honest. And I know what you may be thinking like, well, what if I can't um, say what I wanna say? That's not encouragement. Encouragement just isn't blasting everybody. You don't have to be truthful about every single character flaw of everyone, but you call out the good that you do see in them. And so for those of you that have been crushed with words in your life, that you haven't felt the encouragement, you don't even know what encouragement feels like. I want you to start here. I want you to write those things down even though that may be hard, but there's power when you write some things down. Write those statements down, the ones that you remember, the ones that you recall, as hard as that may be. I want you to write it down and I want you to call it out and I want you to call out to God. And I want you to say, God, is this true over my life? And if it crushed you and it's still crushing you, chances are it was not truth to begin with anyway. So you wanna write it down, you wanna call it out. And I want you to ask God to write the truth beside it. Help you write the truth beside it. And if you have trouble finding the truth, ask a friend. Let them pour into you. That's not what God said about you. This is what God says about you. And then you're gonna take captive every thought. Paul says we're gonna take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And that's not a passive thing. Taking captive every thought means we have to be we have to be active. We have to be an active participant in all of this because you just don't lay back and let things just happen. You have to go after it when you're taking something captive. You have to run after it. You have to wrestle down those words and just say, you're no longer gonna rule in my heart and my mind anymore because I know what the truth is. And then you're gonna weed it out at that landscape of your life that you just imagine. What do you need to pull out of it? What do you need just to yank out of it and let God begin to implant truth back in it? And so what if you're, how do we encourage? 
Let's look at how we're gonna encourage people, even if it's not your gift, because we know there's some people that are just more prone to encourage others. And there's some people that it's just not, it's not your go-to. But if we have the power of life and death in our words, it needs to be something you do, even if it's not your go-to, it needs to be something that you practice. And so what you wanna do first is slow down. And I think we're all kind of guilty of this. We all get in a hurry so often that we miss things. We miss people's struggle. We miss what people are going through. We miss some of the good things that are happening in their life or we see the good characteristics or good qualities in their life. And we miss it because we're just not slowing down enough. We're too much in a hurry. And the second thing is just show up. I think encouragement doesn't always require words. Sometimes it's just showing up to things. It's showing up to the celebrations. It's showing up to the grieving. I remember um, one time we, we had a mission team, we were in West Africa and we had just spent the day just um, in a village and, and just the poverty there is just something that we just can't imagine. It's, it's not something that we experience here ever. And we were all debriefing that night and, and the team, we were all just broken because you looked at the poverty around you and you wanted to help, but you couldn't fix it. And you just felt helpless and all of us wanted to fix it because that's just the easiest thing to do is just to fix it. But we couldn't fix it. And so we were very broken. And the missionary just noticed how the, how the team was feeling and just began to speak to us and said, you have to understand this, that they don't need you to fix anything. Like they have the power of the gospel just like you have to transform their lives. But what you have to understand is that you just showing up, you taking the time and using your resources just to be here is communicating validity of the power of the gospel in their lives. Just that you're here shows that what you, what you believe, what the power of Jesus is a real thing because you took your time to be here. And that's what you can do in other people's lives. You don't have to go all the way across the world to do it. Maybe for you, you just need to show up at a neighbor's doorstep and just say, I notice this was going on in your life. And I just wanna say, how can I help? How do you need help? It's just a neighbor, it's just a coworker, it's just a friend. You just have to show up. And then you have to speak up. Sometimes the easiest, simplest thing that you can say to people is I noticed. I noticed that you worked really hard at that. I noticed that you took your time doing that. I noticed that you were, you were really gentle with him or her. Like you did a really great job with that. And that's it. It doesn't take a lot to think through. You don't need paragraphs. You just need to speak up and say the simple things. And I believe as believers in Jesus Christ, we always have something good to say. There is always this eternal hope of encouragement growing in us. We always have something to bring to the table to encourage people. And I don't want you to walk away with just thinking that this is just the power of positive thinking because it's so much more than that. Even though I'm gonna tell you, you're never gonna encourage someone enough. Research tells us that like it takes seven or 10 times of one positive thing just to even begin to outweigh the negative things. But this is so much more than that. We're not just trying to stack the good up against the bad. It's greater than that. Because this is the power of the resurrection working out in your lives, working out through your words. And this is where, this is where the good just doesn't outweigh the bad. This is where the power of the resurrection rewrites the bad. You have the power to uproot and rewrite the bad that has happened in people's life. And that is what Jesus does for us. And we get to do it. We get to be ministers of His reconciliation through our words. I want you to look at Hebrews. Encourage each other while it's still called today, 
so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. And I love that it says call today, meaning that yesterday was too late and tomorrow is just not soon enough. You gotta do it today. Today is the day that we need to be encouraging people because harsh words have left spirits and hearts hardened. And when that happens, people can't be led by the Spirit. And so as believers in Jesus, we've got a great work to do. We've got a great work ahead of us. If we are gonna use our words and the power of the resurrection through our words, we have the ability to soften hearts with our words. And so we need to get aggressive about this. We need to get going with this. Because what if we were just as aggressive with our encouraging words and our positive and speaking truth into people's lives, lives as we are with negative messaging? What would our world look like? And what if instead of stewing over something that was negative, that crushed you, what if we took that time and what if we invested in it in steering people into the truth of what God says over them? Where would we be? I feel like we would be in a different place, but it's not too late because the scripture says, as long as it's called today, we get to be a part of bringing hope and encouragement into the world. And I know there's gonna be times where we get tired of this race, this human race that we're in. It's tiring, it's a lot of work, we're not gonna lie. You can't give up, you can't put your guard down. We always have to be on, on this mindset of encouraging others, of building each other's up. But I want you to remember, again, in Hebrews, I want you to remember this when you get a little tired. The writer of Hebrews describes this, it's this long chapter and it, it talks about all the great people of the faith, people that risked it all, people that believed it to their core, that gave their lives for it. And then in the very next chapter, he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And I really believe that he was talking about those, those great people of the faith. We've got an audience. There's a great cloud of witnesses watching us. People that gave their lives for this faith that we are learning and growing in. And I believe that that great cloud of witnesses is made up of them, but it's also made up of faces and people that you know and recognize. People that you love, people that have gone on before you. And they're telling you, don't give up. We see a different perspective than you see. We see something that you can't see. We see that if you give it all, that if you give your words, that if you give your life to this truth, you can create something good. You can create something good in others. You can restore what God intended for it to be from the very beginning. You have the power to do that. So keep running, keep encouraging, don't give up because there is a great cloud of witnesses applauding and cheering you on. So I'm gonna pray for you right now. I'm gonna pray for all of us that we step in to that race, that, that faith journey that God is calling us to. Jesus, God, you know the words that have been spoken over us. You know the ones that have brought healing. You know the ones that have brought deep hurt. And so God, I just ask for your healing over people today. And God, I ask it because I know you'll do it because I know you've done it for me. And so God, I ask for that, that in their hearts where they are, where they are wounded, that you bring them life, and God, I just pray for those of us that know the power of your resurrection, that know the hope of your words, that we'll be able to begin to speak it into other people, God. That you begin to put people in our past that need to hear your words spoken over them. 
And God, I just thank you that you love us so much, that you are cheering us on. You're not a distant God. You're ever present with us. You're in every single struggle with us. You're in every fight with us. And we just pray that you, we just thank you that you're our champion of it all. We love you and we ask these things in your great name, amen.